Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now at a time where we readily look around us and recognize that things are out of our control, and yet we confess gladly that nothing has ever been, nor currently is, nor ever will be out of your control. We need you, uh, not now more than ever, because we've ever not fully needed you. So even in this time, as we look into your word, we uh, do so with an awareness that you are our only hope, we have nowhere else to look, and so we're grateful that you, in written form, have chosen to reveal yourself to us, and we have the high privilege of being able to gather tonight with that written word open and to hear from you. So we ask that 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 would be the case tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to start tonight in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So, take those Bibles that you you have and go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 5 first, and then we'll move on from there to some other things. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Old Testament, so... Uh, be fairly early on in your in your copies there. A uh, little more than two years ago, I attended a retreat. I don't remember, some of you in here may have even been on the uh, Super Awesome Weekend retreat that, uh, that I was on a, a couple of years ago. And during the last session of that retreat, as I remember it at least, each participant was given a small rock and we were told to write on the rock something that reminded us of a time when we experienced God in a significant way. So it was kind of one of those moments you might remember from Joshua 7, I think it is, where they have had, uh, no, Joshua 4, where they had just crossed into the promised land And they're told to set up stones of remembrance. So this is kind of like a way of, right on this stone, something, you know, a significant event you remember uh, that the Lord did for you in the past. So a lot of things came to my mind, but what I ended up writing on my rock was Norway, October 2015. I have it right here. Uh, Because it was in Norway, or uh, at the time that we were planning as a family to go to Norway in October 2015, that uh, I thought the Lord was, would eventually send us overseas to serve. It was, it was even uh, on that trip. I didn't you know, know the future, obviously. I wasn't like God somehow you know, inspired me to write that on the rock. I don't like, keep the rock for sentimental reasons. In fact, I, didn't even, I wasn't even sure I still had it, so I do. That was kind of neat. Uh, but I do know when I either see the rock or I think about that trip, I look back. And I can see how the opportunity to take that trip several years ago pointed forward to some more significant decisions and opportunities for me and my family since that time. So the rock is not like the main point of our decision, right? It's not even the main point of this illustration, but it, but it is an illustrator, right? It is a, it's a pointer, if that makes sense. Uh, It's not the main thing, but it points to the thing itself. So, 
we've been considering this idea of knowing we have eternal life. How do we know for certain that we can have eternal life? And so there's a question that comes up a lot of times when we think about living as Christians and, and having eternal life, where you begin to wonder uh, if, if we're really made right before God just by faith. Right? If we're justified by faith, we've seen that in, as we've gone through Galatians, then why do we need the Old Testament? Why do we especially need like the Old Testament law? You know, it's, it's not our works. Even keeping the law wouldn't save us, and none of us can keep the law anyway, so, so is, it, is it even needed for Christians? So that's the question kind of that we want to answer tonight. And I know it's not a perfect analogy, but I think in a lot of ways the law kind of functions like the rock. All right, so again, I mentioned the rock in my life is not like the main point of my life, or it's not like the main reason that I made a, you know, have, have tried to make a decision to serve in another country. But being able to look back at the rock and, and the trip to Norway, I can see that it paved the way to what we anticipate in the future. All right, uh, I think the Old Testament and the law that Moses gave to, his, to God's people uh, that law wasn't the point, but it was a pointer. It pointed forward to something. It set the stage for the greater things that would come later. And, and this is kind of the setting in Deuteronomy 5. So I just want to read this as background before we get into our, kind of our main talk. So in Deuteronomy 5, uh, this, they're recapping some things they've already been through. God's people with Moses are, are remembering what it was like when they first got God's law. So in Deuteronomy 5, And verse 1, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And then he goes in over the next several verses, 15, 20, 21 verses or so, and he recites for them the main part of their law, which is summarized in the Ten ten Commandments, okay? Written on tablets of stone. Very good. And then uh, look down at verse 22. And Moses tells them, he re, he's reminding them, these words the Lord spoke to you, uh, to all your assembly, at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And here's how the people reacted, verse 23. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more. So, so basically they're saying to Moses, don't let God speak to us anymore. We're lucky we've lived through this much of his speaking to us. And so, and so basically they ask Moses, why don't you speak God's words to us? You know, you listen to God, and then you pass along God's words to us. So in that case, Moses became like a, like a mediator, okay? Like a transition. They don't want to hear directly from God. They needed God's law to be mediated through another person, and that person would be Moses, Okay, and then go down to verse 28, where Moses tells them, And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. 
They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Oh, that it might, oh, that they might have that heart always. That's what the Lord desired of his people. Now, some of that uh, background there informs some of what we see and, see and have seen uh, in Galatians. So, I want you to turn now to the New Testament. That's, that's kind of the backdrop, and we'll reference some things from there as we go on. So, uh, turn now to the New Testament, to Galatians, and go to chapter 3. And let me remind you, uh, since it's been a few weeks, of what we last saw. We saw how God made promises. He made a covenant with a man named Abraham. And we looked at what some of those promises were. And he said he made the promise to Abraham and to his offspring. Now here's the question. Is the offspring of Abraham... One person or many people? Many people or one person? Okay. Really, it's both, right? Because there are specific things and there are specific promises that are made here. For example, in uh, verse 16, uh, Paul writing this letter says, The promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, not plural, not to offsprings referring to many, but to one who is Christ. Okay, so who is the ultimate fulfillment of these promises to Abraham? Christ. Jesus is, right? So, so when we read offspring, we understand that to be both Jesus, because he's the one who brings about the fulfillment of those promises, and those promises are fulfilled ultimately to us, and as we'll see tonight, we also, if we have faith in Christ, are the sons and daughters of Abraham. Now, did, uh, did Abraham live before or after Moses and the law and all that we read in, in Deuteronomy? Abraham lived before, right? Uh, so, so Paul addresses that. He said, listen, the, the law came later, but the law, did the law do away with the promises to Abraham? No, it didn't do away with them uh, because if, if you could earn these covenant promises by obeying the law, then God's promises would have failed, right? Okay, he says, but that, it didn't come that way. God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So here's, so here's the, the question. And look at the question at the beginning of verse 19. Why then, what? Why then the, why then the law? Okay, why do we need the law? If God made a promise to Abraham, and then he gave the law, but the law wasn't going to help us to become right with God to get those promises to Abraham anyway, why do we need the law? So you see the, you see the question uh, we referenced earlier, right? Why do we need this thing? All right, let's read why. We're going to pick it up in Galatians 3, uh, starting in verse 19. I want to read this whole section, and then we'll review through it, and then we'll see how it applies to us, okay? I think this, I think this is uh, important for us. Galatians 3.19, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, or a, or a mediator would be another way to say that. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Next question, verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. 
but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And then the beginning of chapter 4. He, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, I just want to talk through and have a conversation with you, so I'm going to ask some questions, and you can, if you'll just read the passage, you'll, you'll be able to answer the questions, okay? So keep your eyes very close on the text, and let's work back through this. There are some blanks in your notes. This is not like a uh, as I guess strict of an outline as I normally would follow because we're not we're, we're kind of going to see the points all at once after we've reviewed some of it. Okay, all right. Here we go. Verse nineteen. Why the law? Why was the law added? Somebody tell me. Okay, because of sin. Because of transgressions is the word that's used in the, the ESV, to transgress the law, to go against it. All right, It's added because of transgression. Did sin exist before the law? Mm-hmm. It did. The law came in to regulate sin, to show sin, to display sin, and it came until who would come? Until the... Good. I love this conversation that Diana and I are having. If anybody else wants to participate, that's totally fine. Diana, you don't have anything to apologize for. All right? It's until the offspring should come to whom the promises had been made. So this is obviously offspring in singular or plural. To whom? So singular, right? And that is, who's the offspring? Who's the singular? Jesus himself, right? So it's put in place because of transgression, until Jesus could come. That would be an okay way to paraphrase that. Now, it was put in place, um, the end of verse 19, it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary or a a mediator, right? So a mediator, understand, is one who is like, one who goes between, okay? One who um, bridges the gap between two parties, all right? We needed the law to be put in place uh, through a media. It's just like, just like we read in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. The people didn't want to hear directly from God because they were afraid what? They would, they would die. Right? The voice of God would kill them. So they asked for Moses to be the go-between. Now this is interesting. Verse 20. An intermediary implies more than one, 
but God is one. You get the indication that the mediator is going to somehow be God himself. It implies more than one, yet Paul says, but God is one. So, is this law contrary to the promises of God? What's the answer? No, certainly not. Because if the law had been given to give life, righteousness would be by the law. Okay, If you're going to fulfill the promises by your obedience to the law, you get the credit. You through the law get the credit. Righteousness would be by the law. It wouldn't be by the promises of God. Okay, But uh, the law is not contrary to the promises of God so that, verse 21... The blessing of Abraham, those promises of God, could be given by faith. Now, verse 22, the Scripture imprisoned everything. You could say it, uh, the, the, the Scripture, the law, enslaves everybody who tries to obey the law. All right? If you try to obey the law, are you going to be successful? No. So instead, you become a slave to it. Okay? It imprisons you, you could say. All right. Most of us, I think, have experienced this. Okay. If you have ever tried to please God, earn God's favor just by just by your obedience, you probably have felt like you don't measure up. Right? Guess why? Because you don't. That's exactly right. None of us do. All right. The Scripture, the Old Testament, shows us that even its laws enslave people, imprisons people. But guess what? That's actually good news. Because it means that our righteousness is not up to our obedience. It's going to be fulfilled through the promises of God. The Scripture made it that way. The Scripture made it such that because of our sin, our transgressions, righteousness couldn't be achieved by our obedience to the law. It had to be gained by faith. Verse 22, it imprisoned everything so that the promise by faith in Jesus could be given to those who believe. It had to be gained by faith. And specifically, by faith in the one through whom the promise would be fulfilled. In that one. So the law is is accomplishing a few things for us. This is where your notes come in. I'm going to give you all three of these. And then we'll we'll discuss them briefly. And then we'll see how they apply. Alright? Here's your your three things that the law does for us. This is is what the law accomplishes. This is what the law... um, how it's relevant for believers. Are you ready? Number one, the law enslaves those guilty of breaking it. The law enslaves those guilty of breaking it. So what, it, what is the main thing that the Old Testament law shows you about yourself? It shows you your sinfulness. It shows you your unrighteousness your inability to be right before God on your own. If in reading the law, you feel like you don't measure up to God, that's appropriate. That's the first thing the law accomplishes for you. Here's the second thing. The law reveals the holy character, the law reveals the holy character of the one who gives it. So, so we know the law shows us we don't measure up, but who or what don't we measure up to? We don't measure up to, God. to God and His standard of holiness. of holiness, right? To the righteousness of God, to the perfections of God. The reason the, reason the law 
uh, demands that people be holy is because the one who gave the law is holy. So that's the second thing it accomplishes. It shows us, so basically you could, you could summarize it this way. The law shows us how wicked we are. It shows us how holy God is. And then here's the third thing. The law anticipates, anticipates a mediator who would perfectly keep it. It anticipates a mediator who would perfectly keep it. That's why all the, what you could call like the shadows of the law, it's all pointing forward. It's all a pointer. Okay, The law is not the point itself. It's the shadow pointing forward to what's coming after it. All right? So that's why verse 23 tells us, Before faith, faith came, we're held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith we, uh, would be revealed. So so this imprisonment, this being held captive under the law, it's in effect until the coming faith would be revealed when Christ himself came. Alright, so it's not to say people before the law didn't have faith. It's not like faith didn't exist at all. It's just that the faith was most fully realized when the offspring of Abraham, who would come in fulfillment of that promise, made to him actually appeared. So what was the law then? Verse 24. So then the law was our... Read it to me. Guardian. Guardian. Yep, until Christ came. So that we might be justified by faith. And that would be in contrast to obedience. We're not justified by obedience, but rather by faith. So the law was like an instructor. It's like a guardrail. It's teaching us how one could live and should live as a child of God, representing him to others. So faith came, that is, Christ came in fulfillment of the promise, which is why the law no longer, no longer works that way for us. Verse 25, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Instead, we are sons of God. How? Verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through through faith, right? Not through works of the law. We're justified by faith. And being justified by faith is described this way in verse 27. As many of you as were what? Baptized into Christ. Yeah, baptized into Christ. That's, an, that's another, it would be like a synonym for saying justified by faith in Christ. When that happens, you are uh, baptized into Christ and you have what? Those baptized into Christ have, at the end of verse 27, put on Christ. Okay, so think about... Um, when we see baptisms here at church, when you've been at a church service and the local church is baptizing believers into the local body, we do that because we see evidence that those people have already been baptized into Christ Himself. And so we baptize them into the local body of Christ. Verse 27, you're baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ which means your primary identity is in Christ. That's why verse 28, your primary identity is not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. So our, our and this is true for everybody baptized into, in, into Jesus. Our primary unity and our identity is in Him. It's not in our ethnicity, it's not in our social status, it's not even in our gender. Our unity and identity is in Christ. Okay, whatever else we may have in common, our primary Unity that we have is that, is that we together are sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus.
In verse 29, if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. You're the plural offspring of Abraham. We inherit the blessings of Abraham promised to him through Christ. Christ won that blessing for us by being the fulfillment of the promises that he made to Abraham. And here's how he did this. Skip down to chapter 4 and verse 4. He did it when the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Did Jesus need to be obedient to the law? No, because he was perfect. Okay. Well, yes, to be an example for us, to, but technically. To be an example and to be a mediator. Mm-hmm. Okay. To a mediator who perfectly kept the law. So he, was, he himself was born under the law. Not, not outside the law, under the law. So that us who were under the law could be redeemed. To redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive adoption as sons. And verse 6. Because you are sons, God has spent the, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Okay, Think about the, the, um, what, what we read in Deuteronomy 5. The Lord said, Oh, that these people always had a heart like this to fear me and keep my commandments. How would God actually make sure that his people had a heart to fear him and keep his commandments? What would he do? Galatians 4, 6. What would he send into our hearts? The spirit of his son. Meaning that we follow a law not written on stone, but written on our hearts. That's what the new covenant is all about. That's what Jeremiah 31 tells us. I wanted to read this um, in closing. This is uh, from a uh, professor I took a class from. He wrote uh, this book about, about this topic, mainly through Galatians, Justification by Grace Through Faith. And this is what he says about the relationship between the law and believers now. Uh, he says this, Nearly everyone has visited a theme park of some kind. As a child, he says, my parents took me to Florida nearly every year to visit relatives, and on several occasions we went to Disney World and Epcot. One of the hardest things for a child who is traveling to Disney World is that the billboards that advertise the park start miles and miles before you arrive. The closer you get to the park, the more signs there are. The more billboards passed, the more the question, are we there yet, is asked. The billboards entice the visitor with all the wonderful attractions. Cinderella's Castle, Spaceship Earth, and rides like the Pirates of the Caribbean fill the roadside vista. Then, finally, after a lifetime, you reach the main gates, and the top of the castle and Spaceship Earth come into view. He says, granted, there are still uh, parking lots the size of small cities to cross, ticket lines measured in geological time, and a monorail to ride. But you're there. All the waiting and anxiety are over and forgotten, at least by the children, in an instant. The billboards did their job, but they are no longer needed or thought of. There was never a time after reaching the Magic Kingdom that I asked my parents, can we go back and look at those billboards? I did not want to see the billboards, nor wish that there were a few standing around in the park. Their job was done. The desire to add aspects of the law or anything else to faith in Christ is like getting to Disney World and longing for the billboard advertisements. Now that Christ has come, all the signs, like the law, which served its divine purpose, are fulfilled. Now there is freedom in Christ. We are justified by faith. To fall back on the law, Mosaic law or otherwise, is to enslave ourselves to things that could never save 
or justify us. Now, that's not to say, and he would agree, that's not to say that we don't need the Old Testament. Right? That we just can ignore it or never read it or not pay any attention to it. But the law served its purpose, right? It was the pointer until Christ came. The law doesn't redeem us, but it points us to the Redeemer, right? That's, that's the role that it has for us. Let's pray that we'll seek Christ. Father, as we have seen from here, the law served its purpose to point to You so that our righteousness can be found in You and not in our, our obedience to the law. Lord, You've always kept Your promises. You kept Your promises to Abraham to pour out the blessing of Abraham on all his offspring. Thank You, Lord, that in Your kindness and goodness You have made us to be sons and daughters of Abraham and more importantly, sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. Lord, help us to know how to live as Your sons and daughters, to know how to um, see you in your word and to show your holiness to others. Uh, and Lord, help us as we break into groups to talk and to think about these things and to uh, know better how to apply these things among us. Help us now as we, as we close with a song uh, to respond in worship to you, that our, that our voices would be pleasing to you, not because of how they sound, but because of what we confess about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.